Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. We are here on episode three of the Mo Show, and I got her. I got her. One of my favorite friends of all time. This is Miss Raha Maharag. Hello. Can I just give uh, my viewers a quick introduction on who you are and what you do and why you're here? And then I will introduce why I'm laughing and yep. I'm smiling and yep. I'm really excited about this. It's honestly a, a privilege and a great pleasure to have uh, Raha on the show. Raha is the youngest Arab and first female Saudi to ever summit Everest. And I remember when I like I've, I've asked him like, "Oh my God, Raha, you summited Everest?" You're like, "It wasn't the hardest mountain." <laughs> I was like, "Are you kidding?" <laughs> I'm talking about mountains on Earth. Uh, I don't know about any other mountains and other planets that you're talking about, but Everest, as far as I'm concerned, is the, the most challenging, is it not? Mm, it's the, okay, it's the highest mountain in the world. Yep. It's the one with all the glory. It's not the hardest. Not uh, the hardest. Not even by a long shot. Yani, they say, all old timers in, in mountain, the mountaineering com- community say, the second highest peak in each continent is probably the most difficult mm-hmm. because you have Annapurna is second highest, I think, and other other second highest. So height doesn't necessarily make it the most difficult. Height makes it most maybe complex because it's just so big and it takes a long time to get there. Mm-hmm. But it's not the most difficult one. And even in even in my short climbing career, it's not the most difficult one at all. And I hate saying that because I sound like I'm being arrogant. But the, the truth is, Everest is one of the most assisted mountains out there. What does that mean? Okay. So there are assisted mountains and non-assist mountains. Mm-hmm. So there are mountains where you climb up and you have an assisted team, a team that helps you carry your food, your gear, your tent, and you pretty much need to just climb from point A to point B with the essentials on your back, which makes the backpack pretty light. Not, non-assist mountains are the monsters. So, yani, imagine needing to carry all your gear your tent, your food, your fuel, and your clothes on your back. So basically you carry something like 25, 30 kilos on your back, and then maybe 15, 20 kilos on your sled, day one. And then as you eat and as you consume fuel, that that weight uh, decreases, but it decreases from the sled and it goes on your back. Right? If, like as, as it gets more and more steep, then you can't use the sled. It's gonna pull you. Mm-hmm. So you have to put the, the weight of the sled in your backpack. So you're carrying around 25, 30 kilos. Wow. And then at that time in my life, I was maybe four or five kilos more than now, maybe 64, 65. Muscle? Yeah, muscle and fat as well. You need to you need to go into the mountain with fat to burn. You okay. need to. And I was never a fatty person, yeah. so I needed to put on weight, uh, which was fun. <laughs> yeah, I don't you know. You were always uh, in shape. You're always the volleyballer, the uh, you know the girl that was uh, you know playing. The girl playing that should have been a guy. Yeah, the only the only girl in a group of guys playing volleyball on the beach or, or soccer or whatever yeah. it was. I definitely want to get into the training that went into uh, okay. into all of that. But if you were to rank the the three toughest mountains in the world, if I was to say Denali at one. Would would you agree? So the our, okay, the, the toughest mountains that I have climbed and the def- toughest mountain that I think are the toughest mountains. You didn't climb them all? I did, but there are mountains that aren't on my list that are tougher. Oh. So I'm gonna tell you the toughest mountains that I have climbed out of first hand experience. Denali is number one, two, and three. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. For many reasons for me personally, yeah. Denali was a disaster. Okay. And for many other people as well. Yeah. It's a tough mountain for many reasons. It's the terrain is difficult, the weather is really moody, it's very cold. The culture on the mountain is very harsh. 
Mm-hmm. I, I've seen terrible things on the mountain, like mm-hmm. someone was in really bad shape and then someone says, well, what did you think? This is Titan Denali. Like mm-hmm. what, this is the mentality, like mm-hmm. you suffer on the mountain. In addition to the, the, the type of ice terrain, it's yeah. just tough it's and, you, and it's a non-assist. So you need to carry a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was getting to the point where I could be like, you know, 25 kilos on your back and then maybe 10, 15 on your sled, depending on the day. And then I was uh, 60 something kilos, including eight kilos of rope and water. So you're hauling ass and you're not walking around in Kurnish. Yeah, yeah. You're carrying that yeah. in boots in incline. <laughs> That's unbelievable. I, I realized that the mountain was no joke when the, the, the most extreme person I know and arguably one of the toughest person that, that, that I know, Mohammed Zahid, went to Shout Denali. Out Shout out to Mohammed Zahid, absolutely. He's, he's a machine, mashallah. mashallah now this guy wakes up at, <laughs> at 4 a.m. and he's yeah. in bed by 8 p.m. and he's just so militant in his yeah. ways, all right? Nobody can compete at his pace. It's incredible. Yeah. Uh, me and him have the same trainer and, and, and I pick my trainer's brain on him. I'm like, what's he like in the gym? He's like, he is a personified animal, okay? Point is, he went to Denali, yeah. all right? And for whatever reason, I know he has an altitude issue. Yeah. He, he uh, also got sick. Someone got yeah, sick as yeah. well. There was, well. He pulled out of it two years ago, I think it was. They were scheduled to go back this the May. The same year I was there. 2018? The same year. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, was, I got there a week after they left. Okay. Or, or I got there when they were leaving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It brings back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were on the same. Like, That's crazy. That's crazy. I, I remember. Remember two years ago, thinking like the, the only four or five crazy Saudis are there in the same time. <laughs> <laughs> they must think we're really adventurous until they find out that those are the only five <laughs> the Saudi only mountaineers. Five Saudi. <laughs> maybe six, maybe yeah, five, six. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, he for whatever reason pulled out, and they were scheduled to go back this May, but then yeah. Corona happened, yeah. and then they had to pull out. Corona. Um, where, so, when did it all start? Last time, I mean, the first time I met you, you know, 2005. Oh uh, you were you were uh, finishing up school in the UAE. You were working, if I am not mistaken, an advertising agency. Yeah, actually, we met when I was in college. Yeah. Pajama. Yeah, yeah. We met, I was like 18 or something. Yeah, graduated, and then you went to advertising. Right? Yeah, I, I started actually, work, I started at Leo Burnett even before I graduated. I started at Leo because I was so excited to work at Leo Burnett. I actually went up to the Leo building, knocked on the door and said, hi, can I meet the head creative? I want to give my CV and I didn't, I didn't finish college yet. So I did and that impressed him and they gave me a, a, a I was an intern, I think the longest intern they had mm. and then they hired me. So I worked at Leo Burnett for a long time. A couple of years? Yeah. Four years? Five. Yeah, four or five years. Yeah. Which is a long time, but yeah, I mean, Absolutely, yeah. before, time. yeah, before leaving and, and decide, like I said, you know, quick turnover nowadays. So then how do you go from, from, <laughs> from that? How do you go from that to you, living? You move back to Saudi yeah. with, with brother Mo. Uh, Muhammad, no, here's the thing. Muhammad, who is, by the way, for people who don't know, guest one mm-hmm. of the Mo show. Yeah. Awesome, awesome person. Just don't tell him I said that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make sure he doesn't get the feed for this. Now, Shalom Hamad is an incredible brother. Uh, we lived, actually me, my brother, and my sister all were in Sharjah together. My, si- my eldest sister, Iman, shout out to Iman, left. And then uh, me and Muhammad were a year apart, so we, we stayed. And then Muhammad decided to go to Spain to do his master's. And then that's when like the reality yeah. came knocking at the door. You know, I'm a young girl living on my own in Dubai. It's not, you know. And that said, it's time to bring Yeah, that's, that said, it's like, yalla, it's time to come back. Yeah. And that's, I think, when everything, the gears kicked in, like the panic mm-hmm. of realizing that this, I, I don't like that I... 
I, I didn't like that I was told I had to quit my this job and then I didn't like that. I didn't like that it was like time. I didn't see it. I didn't get the point. Because you're too free spirited for Exactly. That. And I, I and they're like, yeah, okay. And of course, like the the big M word, you know, you need to get married mm. came up and everybody was like, panic, you know. You just kept deflecting. You know, me, me, middle, marriage. mid 20, exactly. Mid 20s panic yeah. out of this typical thing yeah. and the more I felt the pressure the more I was like are you still getting that I mean or have okay, you passed so, the point wait let me, of- let me get to the that and then I'll explain yeah, okay. it yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because it's a doozy okay so <laughs> we got to the point where I had to come back during that time when I was writing my my resignation letter I decided to do something crazy that was mine that was just for me I didn't know what it was. I had no idea how to find this thing until randomly. I went online, I checked, I was checking for, you know, adventures, you know, stuff to do. I didn't find it. I wanted something to basically piss my parents off and prove that, you know, I just like, picked my life, you right? Can do it, yeah. yeah. Randomly, one day, a girl, we were sitting, a group of people, like random people. Yeah. Yeah, sitting down, yeah. there was this lovely lady, uh, Rowan. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, Rowan. I haven't seen her in a few years, but yeah, she was sitting down talking about her aid trip coming up. And she's like, I'm going to go climb a mountain in Africa. I'm go- it's called Kilimanjaro and no joke I was like isn't that a fruit no joke I, I, I completely I had no idea I thought it was some kind of fruit and I love that idea of you know going first of all I love travel mm-hmm. and I love cultures and I love these things and adventure and sports so this is like tick 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 you live on a mountain I asked her like you you literally she's like yeah it's a company you pay and they take you and I'm like <laughs> it's a light bulb moment for you perfect yeah I decided that this is what I wanted to do and uh, I never imagined that something like that would ever open such incredible doors. I never imagined that that one act of like defiance would, you know, change my life that way. And, and my parents, my dad was like, I am telling you marriage and you're saying mountains. My dad's just, <laughs> my, da- my dad was just like, haram, Baba. Anyone that knows my dad, yeah. like, he's the sweetest. But sweetest. He, I think he had like... You know, he, probably. He, yeah. he was yeah, just yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> Be normal. He's like, why? He, yeah. he initially said no. Initially, well, well, it's it's outlandish. That's course. the thought of going out into the middle of and, nowhere. And remember, this is like a couple of years ago before it became cool for yeah. people to go and do yeah. these things. And it's like become more acceptable. Yeah. So I, I was like, yeah, this is what I wanted to do. And that's when this whole thing just exploded like I, I fell in love with mountaineering and I found su- such pride in being able to, to to pick the path I wanted mm-hmm. and not follow the typical mundane kind and, and, and I'm not dissing anyone that did if that's what you wanted then that's incredible mm-hmm. and my mom always says Erha uh, explain that you are not against getting married I am not against getting married people because mm-hmm. I get this a lot I'm not I just you're, you're just into something else right I, I just simply believe that when it's the right time yeah it's the right time, no matter you're on top of the mountain or yeah. in the city. What is meant for you will will go, will come for you. You need to continue to keep moving and you need to continue to evolve and to, to have that hunger to live your life 
for yourself. And nobody should tell you. And no one should tell you because you can't. It's not something that you suddenly go ding like a toaster. Only you will know when you're ready. And sometimes even you don't because sometimes it just happens because they may go to sleep. Absolutely. You know, sometimes it just happens. Unexpected. 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 So I'm not against it. I just felt like during that specific period of my life, I wasn't ready for that like pressure of, you know, coming back or Mm. anyone that knows me, I'm, I'm not the most comfortable in the typical setting, like typical circle of our society. I'm not comfortable putting on, I love getting dressed. I love I love wearing dresses in my own terms. I'm not comfortable putting it on going to a wedding, sitting down and having people gawk at me. I'm not, yeah. I'm not comfortable with yeah, that at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. So that was like one of the main catalysts was that age that every single woman hits. Mm. And I, I, I feel for every single I would okay person because maybe men have a more, more leeway but we all go through it we all go through that pressure of societal expectations of you know by this age you know everyone you got to be yeah. there and it's preposterous because you know your life is your own you get one and you you know you you can't force what's not meant for you and you can't wait for things that are not are not uh, yeah. Yeah. so yeah it, it was such a crazy roller coaster for me to get to where I wanted to go which is being an adventure yeah. traveler so then you just banged out seven seven mountains seven <laughs> so, peaks so i just i came back from kili and it changed my life easy i mean was that just a stroll in the park um, look I, i've always been athletic so that really helped my background yeah kili is not an easy one you can't say it's easy because you do get altitude and it's like super steep parts yeah you get hit by you get altitude uh, you get hammered by altitude what in is the it end. in meters uh or feet how do you five thousand meters yeah did you do any training on a local level gabel so this is kili kili i had like zero you went there just fresh yeah and then i learned i the hard way that there's layering there's way to the way to to keep your hands warm because people like me who have bad circulation Mm. and your nose you can lose your nose and your fingers and your the tips of your ears i learned and i taught myself so in the beginning it was like driving blind and then when I came back from Kili I was like okay I'm going to teach myself how to do these things and these skills and I was in Jeddah at the time I had moved back from Dubai like wanting to so I remember Mohammed was in Spain Iman was in Riyadh and I was alone in my parents house my new boots came and they are triple la sportivas high altitude Olympus Mons my goodness yeah they're up to your knees they're yellow and black you walk like a penguin and it's like dig it's unnatural unnatural I had to break those in in Saudi because it was Ramadan right after Ramadan I had to go in Hayrauda or did you go to Jabal Souda back then you couldn't even go to Jabal Souda because it was like not as well invested in invested in as now so I would wear it around the house and my mom would be like I would wear like a skirt and that everyone would be looking at me like and then I would actually wear it to the mall I would wear a abaya and I would put them on because it's so hot you have to break them in you have to break them in because you might get blisters and That's I'm walking around with like Duke. Yeah. I'm sure they thought yeah, Latif I had a problem or something Yeah, yeah. and then all the looks in the gym here Ayama it was just the beginning of I'm so so proud to say that women's sports and women's athleticism and women's uh, mark in the sports world in the Saudi community and off. the Gulf yeah. has changed are we Saudi women allowed to compete in the Olympics today? Of course. That's uh, 
Yes. That's allowed. Well, you have to you you have to have an Olympic committee for the sport okay. for you to be <clears throat> eligible to go because you go through your Olympic committee. So not all sports yet have Olympic committees or have committees. Okay. Not yet, mm-hmm. but we're slowly getting. We're slowly, we are. We're yeah. Slowly Ho- horseback there. riding was one of the first, and I think we, we uh, were actually we got a first or second medal, or or we finished. It was. Uh, we got a medal in that in, in, in London. In London, we had equestrian, we had judo, we had a fencer, and track and field. Okay. I think these were the four. And then we had more things, I think, in the last one. I can't, mm-hmm. Shame on me for not knowing, but I remember I watched every single one of them. Uh, it's changed. Yeah. It's changed. So back then, تخيل, تخيل, like imagine back then I had to like break them in and then I had to ask the driver to take me far, far away. So it was hilarious. And I didn't have, like, I, I had just left my job. I didn't have like the budget to do, to train with like fancy things. No one wanted to train me anyway. Mm. <laughs> so all I had was uh, my my smaller boots, not the Olympus ones, my half boots, my backpack. And uh, you know those wares that you use to scales? Yeah. yeah. To scale bags before yeah. going? I had that okay. and, a, and a garbage bag. And I would put in the, the sand and every week I'd add five kilos. That's that's what I use to, to climb. To, to train, to, to strengthen, to your, strengthen core your core. And, core and conditioning, because you need to condition wow. as well, putting on the backpack yeah. and your shoulders. You need yeah. to condition your knees. You need to condition. Yeah. No problem finding sand. No, not that. that alhamdulillah, that was abundant. <laughs> ready, ready. Uh, yeah. And also, <clears throat> heat is a kind of conditioning as well. Okay. It's not the same as cold, but mm. being uncomfortable. Oh my God, absolutely. Being uncomfortable yeah. is a type of conditioning yeah, yeah. because sweating, getting sweating, and then getting like skin rashes and mm-hmm. skin aggra- being aggravated from the sweat is part of conditioning because you get yeah. similar things in ice climate, yeah. just different reasons. Mm. So instead of feeling the heat is hot on your face you feel the cold is hot so it's the same kind of mental yeah. training that you need to do to get yourself but I don't think you, you will ever get yourself mentally prepared unless you do mountaineering mm-hmm. yani, nothing nothing replaces actual mountaineering experience yeah, you can study it you can practice you it can study it but until you're there in the wild yeah you, you know. can you can get your body ready because it's important to be f- f- to have a fitness yeah. level. Yeah. It's important to 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 have a level of fitness. You can't just be like sitting on your couch, chain smoking. Mm-hmm. You know, not not fit, not not uh, not sporty at all. Be like, I'm going to climb that mountain, and yeah. I get messages like that every day. People yeah. messaging me on Instagram, saying, uh, I want to climb Everest. Where do I start? I always say the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> People kind of think I don't mean it in an arrogant way, but. People come up to me and say they want to climb that mountain, and I ask them, well, "What's your sports regime?" And mm. they they do nothing. They, they don't do any sports, and they think that climbing is just walking. It isn't. No. It's a mixture of your mental capabilities, you, you know, your emotional strength, uh, your you know, mind over matter. Your 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 mind gives up way faster than your body. Your mind, because as soon as it starts to hurt you, we are taught to not do it yeah, anymore. The mind carries you. Exactly. So yeah. as children, as soon as something hurts you, you, you don't do We it. react. We react. So mm. as a mountaineer, after three or four weeks, you're, you're, everything's going to hurt you. Yeah. With regards to training, so with Everest, am I correct in thinking that you had to go twice, base camp, acclimatize, and then you came back to Saudi? I wish it was twice. Okay, so you don't go as far back as Saudi. So here's the thing. For those of you listening who don't know, Everest takes you a minimum of 
55 to 60 days to climb. The reason being you need to acclimate. How do you acclimate? You do ascent, descent, acclimatization, which is basically where you go up and down, up and down, where you stress your body when you go up. The human body wants to survive at any cost. So you go from this to that, stress your body, you come back down, you'll have double the O2s, and then next time you, you go can higher, go further you can that, go further yeah. and further. It's like a like a, like elastic band Elastic almost. band. Yeah. If you go at first try, you're yeah, going to break it. it. Yeah. But if you yeah. slowly do that, yeah. you it's, slowly... It's crazy. It's insane. But it's a science. Mm-hmm. And if you have a good guide, like I did, shout out to Garrett Madison, who's incredible. So and Garrett. Garrett and Vern Tejas, a legend in the climbing community, my mentors in climbing. I asked them, I said, would you think I can climb it? Because I climbed with them. You had doubts. Uh, wouldn't you? Yeah, uh, def- definitely. But, and they, but you climbed six prior to that. I know. So, but still, still, I came from zero to like yeah, climbing. It, they both said you have what it takes to to get there. Mm-hmm. You have the you have the. I'm very for for how much of a like uh, outgoing bubbly person I am. I'm actually very systematic and very German. <laughs> you you arrived half an hour early for the podcast. I know. I thought, uh, <laughs> I, thought I'd have time to I set up. I hate. I hate being late yeah. and when I'm in because I don't drive here I didn't know how long so I, I, I like being on time mm-hmm. it, it's just a character thing so you need that in a mountaineering you need to check your gear you need to check your boots you need to check your feet you need, there's no laziness it could be fatal if you're yeah, not organized yeah there's no there's no there's no room, room for, for being lazy yeah, because yeah, yeah. being lazy might being lazy might mean missing something that's going to cost you your life okay. you know you have to put in the big carabiners and so they told me you have that personality you have that you need more experience yeah. but you do have that kind of yeah. like yeah. plus it's a team it's a team spirit a team team thing mm-hmm. and you, you need to be able to have that kind of team spirit and so i think how my many in your team when you're when you're there it uh, depends there are t- t- i've climbed with three people i've climbed with four people i've climbed with 12 mm. It takes a lot for you to get to mentally and physically and emotionally prepared. And then you need to go there and actually do the work. So a lot of people think that, okay, I'm on the mountain, done. No, you get to the mountain, you, you know, everything comes together. You have to really put in the time and you put in that. I think if you are stubborn enough, and I don't mean stubborn in a good way, because there's good type of stubbornness, you can end up hurting yourself and maybe hurting others mm-hmm. if you don't have the sense of responsibility, because you, you don't climb on your own, you climb on your team. So you really need to be responsible. So I urge everybody who wants to climb or is dreaming of climbing, you can contact me on social media and Mo will share yeah, it as well. So, so base camp, once that's done, like it's the final third. Like, I think that's the time when, you know, things are going through your mind. You're probably questioning why on earth you're here. You're probably questioning if you will make it out alive. Did, did such thoughts cross your mind? On specifically Everest or in general? Everest. Okay. So that thought of why am I here comes pretty early. <laughs> Upon landing. (laughs) Not landing, because the Nepalese people are an amazing people, incredible culture. You, it's pretty beautiful getting up there, right? Like the the uh, the base camp trek is one of my favorites, and I'll probably do it again Mm -hmm. in my life. I'll probably go back and do it again. You don't feel it yet, but a month in, you miss. I missed walking on flat surfaces. Okay. I missed the sound of the flush <laughs> because you don't hear it anymore. Yeah. You're in the wild. 
I missed being able to wash my hair and mount and Everest is considered like luxury because you get people like helping you and you get you get a shower every 10 days you, okay. yeah that's incredible I, I was worried lucky. that it'll be 60 days straight without one uh, no my record and please mom I hope you don't see this is on Denali it was 22 or 24 days of no shower at that point do you smell yourself <laughs> At that point, okay, wait, before I get to that, we were, talk, we were talking about, okay, so before I talk about the smelly bits, because it's a, a real, true reality of mountaineering, okay, you get days where you're like, what am I thinking? When everything hurts, and you're tired, and you're hungry, and everything. You just think couch. Yeah, I, I never got to the point where I thought, I regret being up there. Okay. Because I saw how hard it it was for my mom and my dad to let me go up there and okay. my family. Yeah, since you. It was. It wasn't easy. What do you miss the most when you're up when you're up there? Like the, the small luxuries. Like like a like, like a penne nice, arrabbiata. Yeah, no, how that kid food food for food, sure. I would imagine. Yeah, but and then you when you're hungry you'll eat anything, right? Mm-hmm. So that 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 kind of leaves after um three four weeks. What you truly 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 miss is the sense of being able to walk and. Go, go go to the bathroom comfortably. Or, normal, yeah, normal, normal, normal. Like seat. showering without worrying that my hand will freeze <clears throat> in my hair, which happens. Wow. The things we take for granted. Yes. Yeah, so when you're taking a shower and then the cloud comes and blocks the sun, and then you get, you know, the water freezing, and then you yeah. have to run out, like with your wet, with your pants, and you with your jacket, and go to the team tent and defrost your head. So these small things are incredible because they're part of mountaineering but you take them for granted you lose it once you're out there uh, but I kind of like in the same way feeling that way feeling like you are a nomad and and just Mm -hmm. living minimal right but yeah and then uh, other stuff that I thought initially were difficult for me to let go were very easy it didn't bother me that I didn't, I didn't have my phone. Mm-hmm. It didn't bother me that I couldn't call. It bothered me that I knew my parent, my parents were worried. That's a different. Kind. And you could, and you couldn't put their minds at ease. Yeah, because you can't pick up the phone and call them anytime. Yeah. You need a sad yeah. phone. Yeah. I remember a conversation about my dad. I'm like, okay, Bubble. This is when I went to Antarctica. I'm like, okay, Bubble. I don't have a connection. My sat phone doesn't work there. Okay, I have a Thraya and a Redeem works there. Shout out to Thraya. You get there and it's nothing. You have one phone for the team for emergency. So I told Baba, okay, Baba, look, there's this one. Hmm. Mama, Baba, this one. There's no communication. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, you can't contact me maybe eight, nine days, maybe 10 days. He's like, okay, what happens after 10 days? I panic. I'm like, no, you don't panic. <laughs> you call the climbing company. Hmm. They will give you a link. <laughs> You go on the link and you'll see the dot of where we are. <laughs> and he was like, how do I know that that dot is you? <laughs> and he's like, and not the team. And then surely enough, I went to Antarctica, long story short, 10 days passed, I couldn't call them. My dad called the company and the lady said, Mr. Maharak, mm. we can see the dot moving, the blue dot moving, that means, okay. He's like, how do I know the blue dot is my dot? Explain to my dad's Poor generation. Thing. Poor thing. Anyway, so that was tough, but I was okay with not being able yeah. to check my phone. Yeah. I just worried yeah. about my it's, parents. Must have, must have been therapeutic it, just to be detached yeah. from everything. And then just feeling you between that, that between you and the outdoors is a thin 
sheet at night is a thin sheet of tent yeah that's and it. then the whole day you are moving you're like a machine yeah. you i truly feel like i get in touch with my true like ancestry so, yeah. yeah 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 it's not like you're back in you know in the medieval days yeah, yeah. Like, even more older like uh, raw you yeah. have your food fuel teammates Okay, you know, you just, I love that. Yeah. I love that camaraderie. I love that sense. Uh, yeah. You know, if for whatever reason the world ever, God forbid, has to go back to those days, some people will be able to survive, some people won't. And, you know, you'd be one of the people who can because you've been through the trenches. So funny enough, funny, ironic, sad, I got stuck uh, in Dubai when this whole started mm -hmm. for 50 days on my own. Okay. 50. And then when I managed to fly back, I was in quarantine for 10. So I was 60 days alone. I couldn't see anyone because uh, I was sick twice. Alhamdulillah, it was just tonsillitis. But I, I quarantined every time I was sick. And then I went to the airport and I quarantined every time I went to the airport and my flight got canceled. So I, I was completely, pretty much in 60 days, I spoke to one person who was my best friend who came to check up on me twice in this whole time in person. Wow. All the training I did in mountaineering, helped for for you know being quarantining and then you had people who quarantined for a week and they were like oh my god and i was completely alone for 60 days and i was like chilling by the end i was like yeah i'm over it because yeah. it was ramadan i wanted to see my family but mountaineering teaches you skills that are beyond the mountain life we, lessons life lessons and especially teaches you about yourself a lot is there a part of the mountain uh that was like so challenging that you didn't think you're gonna get across like i've seen some videos of you Raha, where like you had to walk across a ladder uh, in the middle of like a plateau and <laughs> uh, I, it, the Kumbu Icefall it's yeah it stayed with me that image yeah. it's called the Kumbu Icefall so what is it how, how do you guys set up you throw a ladder across yeah so the Kumbu Icefall <clears throat> is it even sounds scary yeah and I love the name the Kumbu Icefall it's amazing it's the classical way because there are other ways of getting up Everest right but the Kumbu Icefall is the classical way of crossing it to get to the what they call the bottom of the Lhotse face is the north face Everest of course, but it's not the side that I went on. Okay. The north yeah. face is the 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 Tibetan side, okay. the Chinese. You asked for the harder route. No, that there's no such thing as the more difficult and harder. The Nepalese side is the one that has the more support. Okay. So I chose that as opposed to the north side that has less support. For my parents' sake, and just because I also <laughs> I also wanted to go through the side that has more support. Correct. So. Yeah. You, you, the Kumbu Icefall, they call it the gate of Everest because that's where you have to, f the first monster you need to, you know, look in the eye. Call me crazy, it's my favorite part of the mountain. It's my favorite part of the mountain. It, it's like being in an actual Super Mario game. I felt like Super Mario. Uh, the, the ice doctors who are specialist Sherpas and specialist uh, Sherpas who are the people who live in ever uh, above a certain level in Nepal. They're mm. called the Sherpas. Sure, yeah. It's a tribe. Mm. The Sherpa doctors or the ice doctors, the ice doctors who are Sherpa, excuse me, are the ones that set up these ladders for people to cross. And they are hair raising. Like they have, they, they, like they lay it, they lay one across. It doesn't fit. They tie two together, and then they lay, they throw, and then they throw them, and then they're like a, there's like a dip, <laughs> and they're squeaky, and they are like wobbly, and you have to cross them with your boots and your your crampons. So you have teeth in the bottom. Of I don't even know where to go. <laughs> you have teeth in the bottom of them. My hands are not, my hands are like getting tingly. And they're like tiny metal. Mm. You saw the videos. I saw the video. I didn't finish it. Mo is over 
obviously like it's a tiny metal rods that yeah. you need to slowly and I've seen people well you attach yourself in case you fall I've seen people fall but they didn't fall to their death thank god because they were attached okay. but it's a very long there's no safety net on there's this there's no safety net and people have lost their I, lives on this yes I've seen uh, I've seen kombucha I've rich seen, <laughs> kombucha <laughs> Kumbu it's a death trap. Yeah, and it's. Inc- I loved the kumbu, and then I. It was just like a. Again, a video game from. I loved it, and I, think I was it jumping takes someone from. Someone to love it uh, to do the seven summits. Yeah, like if you're crazy enough I to do that, enjoyed the kumbu. You're gonna enjoy the kombucha. And kombucha, <laughs> that's a dream. <laughs> and then in the beginning, you. So the first time you go through the kumbu, it takes you ten hours. Oh wow! First time. Not, I thought it was like an hour's gig. Mm-mm. First time, it takes you 10 hours. To set up. to. I mean, it took us first time. Well, okay. because you, you're you not used to it. You, you're, you're trying yeah. to gauge. But trust me, by the fourth or sixth run, it took me like four hours. Because oh I was God. just like, okay, here's this falling thing. Here's that, that. And let's go. But do not take it for granted. Because the same Kumbu Icefall that I climbed killed, I think, 17 or 18 people a year or two after I was there in a matter of minutes there was a huge slab that came down and crushed these the the Sherpa doctors because they were setting up the the thing but it's the one of the most important parts of um, Everest is to train to cross the Kumbu that's the hard that's the hardest no it wasn't it wasn't the hardest it's maybe the most technical part okay Uh, having passed the the Kumbu Kumbu. it's such a cool name Ridge or whatever it's called it's it's not like the hardest is 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 out the way I, I liked it I really enjoyed it. A lot of people don't like it. A lot of people say it's the most difficult. Okay. I liked it. At what point are you like cliffhanging where your 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 stomach is pressed across the mountain and you're you're literally climbing your way so up? So Everest is considered to be a non-technical mountain, a, a light technical mountain. Okay. Because you don't actually ice climb it. You have an ice axe and they teach you ice drills like a self uh, resting which is basically when you fall how do you pull your ice axe out and self rest mm-hmm. on the mountain okay. so that you don't die and you don't fall to your death or pull your team are you into the movies uh, these these cliffhanger movies yeah of these course I've seen movies? them all yeah. you saw cliffhanger the one of course with, uh, I saw cliffhanger I saw uh, vertical limit I all saw right. Everest in the cinema with all my friends Okay. and everybody was like she climbed it it was such a cute and embarrassing moment for me but yeah, yeah. I've actually met people that are part of that story mm-hmm. real people there no way yeah that they were actually telling me the story yeah. you you Get up, so you finish Icefall, the Kumbu Icefall, you get to what they call Camp One. Mm. So Camp One is basically situated on top of the Kumbu. Sometimes you touch Camp One and then go back down to base. Sometimes you sleep in Camp One. It's part of the acclimatization. After Camp One, you go through something called the Western Kum, which is, to me, like a valley. It, it was like a microwave. It, because you're, it was snow, and then the mountains were snowy and then the sun was hitting you from all angles mm-hmm. so if the wind was not moving it's hot mm-hmm. and I saw so many pe- poor people that aren't used to the heat <laughs> haram have a hard time I was okay you were loving I was, I was chilling <laughs> but it's still difficult because you overheat and overheating makes you slow and if you're slow you exer- exert yeah, you, you exhaust your yeah, yeah. Heat, the sun kicks your butt mm-hmm. This, you know, Are you sweating under all the gear yeah, when you're, when you're you, climbing? Yeah, but you, you should not sweat under your gear. You should always 
temperature control. Okay. You should not be dripping inside your gear. That means you're overheating. Yeah, I get that a few times in skiing. You I'm need sweating. to vent. Okay. You need to learn how to vent. Yeah. I was very lucky. Yeah, vent. I was very lucky. I was never the type that overheats, mm-hmm. but. If I did, it was usually my head because of my hair. Yeah, <laughs> I, the fro. It's, it's naturally <laughs> insulated, so I was I was wearing a hat and hair. Yeah. you know, I would I would you know sweat from my head because mm. it was just so hot. But after the kumbu, you go western kum, western kum. You get to lower camp three, and then you go through the lotsi phase. Is that the so the home stretch? So till you get to the- not home stretch. I would say quarterfinals. Okay. Oh my god. So the quarterfinals is the 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 lotsi face, and it's a steep, very steep, long, very long stretch of mm-hmm. ice. That can be really tough. And the day I went up, like, because you do it training, you go up half and come down. Mm-hmm. The day I went up completely, it was windy and I felt like there were shards of glass cutting my face. Nothing is showing. No skin is exposed. Uh, I don't. I wear a, uh, what they call a balaclava okay. or a buff yeah. and goggles because I need my face. That's no, no, for sure. <laughs> there are some people that get lazy yeah. and they get burnt. The triangle gets burnt. So they put the balaclava, the goggles, and then they forget this. I was like... <laughs> you covered it all, huh? Yeah. Smart. No, you probably want to do that. Kill me. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm lucky. I only yeah. had frostbite once. We can talk about that later. It was completely my fault. I was lazy. Uh, yeah. Just a gust of cold wind. Oh, no. I'll, I'll explain to you because it was... The, I, we'll, we'll get into that. Okay, I so deserved it. Going up the quarterfinals. Uh, I heard a rumor, and I don't know if it's true, and I'm no, probably no better person to answer this than you. Uh, is it true that Bodies. they leave the dead behind? <laughs> How did I know I was going to ask this? Because you know I'm like, you know. Okay, so after you get through the Western Coom, Camp 2, lower, uh, sorry, Camp 3, lower, uh, uh, and then higher Camp 3 is above or halfway through Lotsi phase. Lotsi phase, you spend a night or two, depends on your strength. And then after the Lotsi phase, you go on to something called the, the yellow belt. Okay. That was uncomfortable. Okay. It was snow and ice, and I don't like the sound of uh, the crack. Slushy, yeah, okay. La, la, il, il, la. Like in school, when the teacher used the to... Nails on a chalkboard. Nail chalk, so yeah. it's, your, your, your crampons are like... Yeah. Oh, and then you're sliding. Grip, no grip? No grip, because it's, it's rock. Well, that's a disaster. Disaster. Yeah. I've seen someone actually fall and nearly like puncture someone else's chest because you're, sh- you're supposed to control your feet because okay. that's one of the most... So someone slipped and, and his... Yeah, thank God. Because for those who haven't climbed, the two front part of the your crampons are really long. They're like this long. It's a funny name, crampons. Cramp, because they, they cramp on. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Carabiner is a funnier one. <laughs> Carabiner or carabiner, so that is that can puncture you. That can really someone slipped and it, yeah, and, it, and it luckily, luckily someone. it didn't hit oh, the person. God. Yeah, but that guy broke his fall by grabbing the rope while he was falling, and yeah. he had a gash of burn. Like, yeah, it was painful. It was either that or he didn't finish. He didn't summit. Someone. He had to yeah, because he was falling and he grabbed yeah. it and he was gonna take three people well with him. So he he did that and he he had to give up his no gloves. Gloves, but you're going down so fast and the angle. And that so was steep. it for him. He called it a day. Yeah, because you can. You he called can, it a month. Yeah, I think he. I think he didn't summit. I didn't see him after that. Anyway, so you get to the yellow belt, mm-hmm. which is like this rocky, beautiful. I have a picture. I'll show you later. Actually, you've seen it. 
yellow belt and then the Geneva spur. It's the two names are that for the same thing, just different areas of yeah. the same. Yeah. So yellow belt and then the Geneva spur, and then as soon as you get to the Geneva spur, it, it plateaus. Are we at the semifinals now? Semifinals. A, I would. I would up. say semi. And I didn't even. I didn't even start from 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 uh, Lukla. <laughs> I didn't even. St- Lukla is the, air, the the second most dangerous airport in the world. <laughs> so I didn't even start from Lukla. Luk- is that is that below uh, base camp? Yeah, it's below base below camp. camp. So you land in Lukla and you have to hike from Lukla to uh, Namchi Bazaar and Namchi Bazaar base camp. That takes eight days. It's a country Everest. Yeah. Oh my. Like, yeah, it is. And when people when people like think it's a walk in the park, I'm like research. It's who in their right so mind so many people think it takes a week I'm like it, it doesn't even take a week to get to Lukla which is uh, sorry from Lukla to, to Namche Namche is the beautiful bazaar what, amazing place as well it's yeah. a beautiful bazaar where people trade all of these amazing things anyways amazing. so you get yeah. to you get You're to yeah you plateau you get to the death zone <clears throat> The death zone. Yeah. Where you, where you see bodies? Uh, perfectly named the, the death zone. Because literally, as you sit in the death zone, you are dying rapidly. We are not meant to function. Are we at 26,000 feet? You deal with feet. I don't deal with feet. I'm really bad. 7,000? You know what got me? The fact that Everest is pretty much at the same height of a cruising altitude. Of a, seven, of a 7 for 7. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 29,000 I think it's 14 Burj Khalifas. Okay. Something like that. Yeah. So seven thousand. So, so I'm, I'm 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 guessing you're at twenty six. Let, meters is seven thousand nine hundred. Can you please check how how? Uh, what did I call him last time? <laughs> can you can you double check? Make please? believe, Jonathan. Yeah. Can you check the? <laughs> can you check how high uh, the death zone is? I would say seven something. Seven. Seven thousand yeah, something. Yeah, death zone in here. The summit is eight thousand. So I'm actually Jonathan. The summit um, is eight thousand eight hundred forty eight. I think. Death Zone Everest is at eight. The, the the point is generally tagged at eight thousand meters. You can you can say eight thousand because there are multiple like yeah, camps. Yeah, yeah. We were at seven thousand. I remember this because I have a picture of myself with the uh, altimeter. Okay. It said seven and change. Kaka. In meters, it's eight. So it's eight hundred. Sorry, eight thousand eight hundred and forty-eight. Yeah. So it's. The last 800 meters. Yeah. So it's basically the last leg of the tip of where the mountain is. Okay. So you get to the death zone. That's death zone. Yeah. It's called that because there are dead bodies there? A lot of people think it's called the death zone because the bodies are there. It is not true. It's called the death zone because you die rapidly sitting there. Because of altitude. Because of altitude. So then why don't they call the peak? uh, The the peak must be the even deather zone. It's the graveyard. My God. Yeah, the highest grave, the highest graveyard in the world. So you get we 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 got put on oxygen from lower to mid camp three, right? Mm-hmm. So you train to put the oxygen mask and designers of the oxygen mask of Everest, please make some for Arab profiles. <laughs> <laughs> it was not for an Arab nose. It was like. Was it uncomfortable? It was bruising me. Ouch. It was. I have a small face, so it curved. Okay. The mask came and curved because if you have a wider face, it will spread out. It it won't, you know, bother you. It bothered you. How long did you have to tolerate this thing? Hours. For? But you nothing. have to sleep in it. There's you nothing worse s- than having uncom- an uncomfortable gear to put to up with. You have to sleep in it. You have to actually sit in tent and sleep in okay. it. And I, I I was putting padding. I was cutting padding from my mat, <laughs> from my sleeping mat, and sticking it. <laughs> It was it was hurting me. It was that was quite creative of you. You yeah, uh, I can be a very touch creative. to your creative yeah, side. I can be has very creative. And I was like, you know, really like 
freezing in the death zone, cutting the thing yeah. on and like sticking it because it was it was uncomfortable. And then you wear it at night. You wear it for like twelve hours or whatever. Anyways, cold factor. Cold being a factor at this point. Freezing. No matter what you wear. Freezing. No fire. No nothing. No, we ha- because of our lack of O2s, uh, gas gets depleted very quickly. Okay. So in order in order for you to boil water at altitude, it takes you I don't know quadruple the amount of uh, fuel than sea level. So what are you eating if you're not boiling water? So by the time you get well, base camp is different. Each camp has a different system of food. Mm. I. We don't have time for to get into that. By the time you get to the death zone, you literally eat like out of out of a, ba- a bag a baggie that they open, put in hot water, and you just go. Like, and it tastes better than you, anything you've ever had. But you're you're so everything is on low. Mm. I found a video of myself sending a video to my mom and dad that I don't even recall. You know. The one at the peak? In, not a, in, in the death zone before we did, on the summit night, I, I took the camera and I okay. was saying, hi mama, hi dad. And I, as you can see, I speak really fast. I was like, hi mama, hi mama. And I thought I was, I thought I was fine. So you felt the lack of oxygen. You feel it, you're slow, you're sluggish, sluggish yeah. and it, everything is heavy. And then the gear, and then I was, I, in my mind, I was imagining the tent blowing off because there was a rip that started to rip from the tent. Okay. And I was in full fighting gear. I got to the I, the same clothes I wore and from the camp three, I was wearing for like four or five days. I was wearing the whole thing minus my thick boots. I had the liner boots on, mm-hmm. liner gloves on. I I was paranoid. I had gloves in my in my person i had gloves in my summit suit yeah. i had gloves in my backpack i had gloves everywhere because <laughs> i was worried one would fly off and i was in my sleeping bag like you know yeah just trying like, to stabilize let's go. you know i was in my sleeping yeah. bag I was, was in- there any worry that the tent would fly yes or- because we have limited amount of tents so for example if it flew off me and the person that was in my tent would go with other people so we're three not okay, two yeah. but if that flew off what do you do you can't be four or five yeah. people in the tent yeah. anyway so i was like <laughs> fighting gear waiting for them to call the summit call the summit push how long are you waiting there for uh, it feels Days? like it felt like an eternity it felt but it's it was a matter of hours it was a it was a it was a like a day half a day it wasn't long i can't tell you time is weird up yeah. there i can't There's no reference no because i was just it's constantly like, daytime isn't it yeah no no Do you see Ant- antarctica is constantly daytime uh, when you climb okay. yeah, yeah but yeah, every yeah. no you get it you get a night but you're so hyped and exhausted and emotional and charged so i was just like yeah okay, on okay, edge okay what uh, one weird thing I eat a lot when I'm climbing. I don't eat much in my real life, but I eat a lot when I'm climbing. But, but of course, I mean, I think it's the cold. I think it's not only that, but how much are you burning? I know, but I ate more than even the guys. It was weird. Mm. I actually won the eating it's, competition in Antarctica. Is it stress eating? No, I think I was just constantly cold. Okay. I was I, my body temperature was never stable. So food, you 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 get a sense of warmth when you eat. Yeah. Okay, so that explains. And that. then it's one way for you to fight the cold. And then fall asleep. Yeah. You subconsciously fought the cold by eating. Eating, and then I just yeah. you know eat. Anyways, yeah. sitting down, waiting for you know you know summit summit. We we don't know when the summit call because the team tent is not us. We have a team tent. May you know main guys mm. may take the decision. Sherpas wake wake you. Sherpa came. You know, sh- tent shake. 
the Sheikh the tent. I had an amazing Sherpa who I, I called him my shadow because he was with me the entire two months. His, wow. his name was Ang Nurbu. He was your best friend. Yeah, he was my shadow. I I called him noodles for the longest time because I couldn't say I couldn't say Angnurbu. Yeah, yeah. He was the same height as me, maybe a little bit shorter, but man, was this guy incredibly fit. So I owe my summit to him. Uh, Thank you so much for your patience. He came up to me and he said, "Didi, Didi means sister in the police. Summit, summit, Didi. Okay, summit. I was like, okay, summit. He literally." You know, I opened the sleeping bag uh, again. Another very interesting thing a lot of people don't know: out of respect on uh, Mother Mountain, because it's 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 uh, sacred for the Nepalese people. Uh, non-married couples shouldn't be in the same tent. So, out of respect, my Sherpa would never step in. He would just open the tent and check up on me. So, out of respect, uh, he would be like, "Okay, Didi, summit now. Okay, let's go." So, I I stuck my my feet out, and he was checking my feet. And the tent and I was putting on my gear. It was like the movies and mm. putting on my gear, checking everything. He checked my feet. I put the, you know, he's like, okay, Didi, let's go. You know, he was in, an incredible. How did you feel? I mean, you must have been like. Pumping. Like you, charged like you've never been. Yeah, charged and just, you, is, it, is this happening? Is, is happening? this really happening? Yeah, oh yeah. my God. We're oh, on, it's just we're like, on. <laughs> and everybody's, everybody, you can see, all you can see is headlights. Like okay. people just. Dark at this point. It's dark, yeah. So you have to always climb. Bef- way be- uh, at the middle of the night when the weather is stable okay. because the weather is stable when the temperatures don't change right. right so when the sun comes up temperature changes wind is the enemy uh wind is the enemy uh and a blowout if you get a snowstorm mm. and altitude is the enemy as well okay. at that point okay didi let's go everybody's like everyone's moving everyone's putting on gear okay let's go let's go garrett uh, team lead team uh, the head uh, guide was like okay you on this rope you on this rope and he was putting everyone together you literally have no time to panic like you had to if they think if he looks at you and feels that you there's something off you're you're being he'll call it he'll call it in mountaineering terms they say they'll take your boots Okay. So there, because there's some people attempt. Yeah. So, for example, if the head guy tells him you can't climb, he puts the boot on and climbs anyway. So they say they take mm-hmm. your boots. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So if he feels that you have to be like on it, out of protection for you I'm and everybody on the mountain. Happy to hear, yeah. yeah so many people have died on the mountain. So, yeah. yeah let's go. Let's go. And gear on everything, and then you start climbing. He looked at you and you looked ready. Yeah. He came up to me and he was just like. You know, you're good, you're good, you're good, everything's good. Uh, you can see, you can clearly see fatigues inside mm. it, on people's faces because it's just raw, raw. You know, you've been climbing for uh, a month, <laughs> a month, uh, sorry, two months. So you're, you can see it mm. if someone has it or doesn't. He cut people already before that. Oh, he did? Oh, yeah. He cut so people. So no one's safe. Yeah, yeah. Really. he cut people before we got there. Yeah. And this is what a good guide is, yeah. is you need to know. Anyway, we get to the line and then we start climbing Everest and I and it was a full moon that night was a full moon and I'll, Mo, I'll never forget this it was a full moon and I usually have a, a, a habit of not looking up I have a habit of not looking at the altimeter or the watch when I'm climbing or up because I don't like to get condescended yeah I don't like to get like overwhelmed yeah but it was Everest did so you look I did so I looked up can you share? It was this, the most surreal thing I've ever seen. What the hell did you see? To be continued. <laughs>